Welcome to Baking with House of Bread, and I am your host, Sheila McCann. So today we're going to cover the Italian Easter bread, otherwise known as pan de Besquea. And it's not just popular in Italy, it's actually throughout Europe. They have a lot of different countries have a different version of the Easter bread. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of symbolism with the bread and religion. Anybody who grew up in the Catholic Church, like I did, you know that bread is given out at communion. So the original Easter bread was supposed to be, was referenced as a sweetened communion bread. It symbolizes a couple of different things. So the shape of the bread, it's usually circular in shape, and it can be braided or it can be sort of a twist And that's supposed to symbolize the crown Jesus wore on the cross. We include colored eggs in ours. If you look at some of the pictures that they have on um, the internet of like a traditional Easter bread, original virgin didn't have colored eggs. But we like to have things a little more festive at the bakery. And the eggs, they symbolize the birth and life. Now, if you aren't religious, which is totally fine, And I said originally when I started this podcast, I wasn't going to talk about religion or politics. But that being said, there is a lot of (laughs) religious symbolism with bread. Not so much with politics, so we're safe there. Anyway, so if you are not a person of faith, no worries. Because you can think that the egg will symbolize the mark of the spring season. And really, no matter what you believe, this is a really pretty Italian Easter bread, and it is super delicious. Now, the bread itself is a little bit lighter and fluffier, and it is similar to a brioche or a challah, and it's got a hint of a slightly sweet lemon. It's not too sweet. And so how I came up with this recipe is I basically took our base of our challah recipe, and I added an extra egg. I wanted it to be a little bit richer, And I added a little more whole wheat flour because I had added more honey and a little and also to lemon juice. And so you kind of have to offset any liquid with a dry ingredient. Although it has mostly white flour, I wanted to add a little bit more wheat flour because I think that gives a little more complexity. This amount of dough is going to get you about three loaves. Or you can actually make two. You can make a big Easter bread. And then I'm going to talk about another option for you with this dough is we do what's called Easter babies or Easter dolls. And that is more of a three-stranded braid dough as the body. And you put a colored, just one colored egg in as the head. And then you mark on the head the, after it's baked, you put in your little smiley face or, you know, however creative you want to get with it. And then the traditional Easter round loaf, I actually do mine in two strands. You can do a three strand and then just loop it. But I do a two strands that's pretty long. And then I twist in colored eggs and form it in a circle. And we egg egg wash both loaves and we put colored sprinkles on top. Or you can use a uh, pearl sugar for additional sweetness and decoration. And I am going to include a link in the YouTube channel for the videos of shaping these two breads, as well as the recipe. 
To get your eggs colored, I'm going to tell you what I do in the bakery, and then I'm going to give you a recipe for boiling it. Um, the reason why is that I originally started with boiling the water, then putting dye in the water to hard boil eggs. And the reason that I went to another system is I just take our muffin tins and I put the eggs in the muffin tin, no water, no nothing. And I just bake them for about 45 minutes and they're hard boiled eggs or not, whatever. I guess they're not hard boiled eggs. <laughs> they're just, they're hard eggs. And the reason I like working with hard eggs, because I found in the beginning when I just colored the eggs without making them hard boiled, it was, they broke too much. And then you're dealing with this like messy egg that is, then you've got dough, you've got this mess potentially happening if you crack the eggs. Now with hard boiled eggs, it doesn't really matter. So if you, you break the egg a little bit, you just put that part on the bottom so that it doesn't show. Um, so you get a lot more leeway with, you know, kind of doing it faster. Because remember in the bakery, we got to get these things done. And at home, you can really take your time. And so you maybe don't have to boil your eggs and it'll just bake and they'll be hard boiled. Excuse me, they'll be hard baked after they come out with the dough being baked. But for us, it's just easier to stick them in the muffin tins, get them in the oven. To make hard boiled eggs, they generally recommend that you add some white vinegar into the mix. And what that basically does is that just makes your peeling of the eggs easier. What it is, it's there's a chemical reaction that makes the outer shell weaker. And so therefore, it's just easier to break off. And if you don't have vinegar, no biggie. It's just going to be a little bit harder to peel your eggs. Then you want to use three cups of boiling water. And then you put in about six eggs. And you can kind of tell when you got it in there if it's enough water around the egg to color it. And if you do the tin version that I talked about, you don't have to have boiling water. So that's the easier version. And then you can just do smaller containers. It just has to be colored water. And it's the same setup. So put in, oh, about, think of it this way, about three quarters of a tablespoon of white vinegar for every cup of water that you put in there. Okay, so now we're going to go to the dough recipe. And it's one and a half cups of warm water and a cup of milk. And what I would suggest you do is you just can add those two together and then you can put them in the microwave. And the temperature, I don't want it boiling because boiling will compromise the yeast. So I would like it to be very warm though. So you should be able to put your finger in there, but it should be nice and warm. And then two packages or one and three-fourths tablespoon of active dry yeast, six cups of unbleached bread flour. And I prefer bread flour as it's got a higher gluten content. And with all the fat in this dough, it's really going to take more kneading to get to the good dough stage. But if all you have is all purpose, then you can use it for this recipe because you're really not trying to make a sandwich loaf with it. So you don't really need to get that much high to it. And then two cups of whole wheat flour. Now, I prefer stone ground white whole wheat flour because the white whole wheat flour, it's just a little milder and sweeter in taste. And it still encompasses the whole wheat berry. So you're getting all the fiber benefits there. And the reason that I like stone ground, because it's a low heat process for milling, and that'll preserve all the wonderful natural nutrition of the wheat berry. And if you want more information on flowers, I go into a little more detail about this in episode one. And then a half a cup of butter that is very soft. 
you want to kind of avoid melting it, but you definitely want it more softer than harder because otherwise it won't disperse in the mix very well. And if you accidentally get it more melted than not, then don't worry about it. It's fine. You just want to avoid the hard part. A third a cup of granulated sugar, a third a cup of honey. And if you want to make a sweeter loaf, you can do about a half a cup of sugar or a half a cup of honey, but don't go any more than that because what I found when I tried to add a little more honey to it, it the dough got really heavy and it kind of, it got weighed down. It was just a little bit too dense for me. And one and a half tablespoons of salt. Now any salt is fine. And two large eggs. Room temperature is preferable, but if you don't, if you get forget to take them out of the refrigerator, don't worry about it. I and mean, you know you can't microwave it, right? The reason I'm laughing, for those of you who don't know, if you put an egg in a microwave, it blows up. And I have very vivid memories when microwaves were first invented. I don't know when it was, but sometime in the 70s. So we got one and our family was, I mean, we must put like about a dozen eggs in there, one after another, watching it blow up. <laughs> anyway, that was our humor, family humor there, as you will. Like I said, if you forget to take them out of the refrigerator, the eggs, don't worry about it. It's just going to be a little bit colder in the dough and it'll just affect the proofing time. It'll take a little bit longer. And then you're going to zest one lemon. Now, if you don't have a lemon and you've got a lime, use a lime. If you don't have a lemon or a lime and you got an orange, then use an orange. What I wanted is I wanted a little bit of a sweeter citrus flavor to this Easter bread. I wanted it to be a little more, seemed a little more festive. So if you don't like citrus flavoring at all, then you can just leave this thing out. It's gonna, you're probably gonna have to compromise and add a little bit more flour. And I mean like a quarter cup more, but hold that off till the end. So mix everything in there. You can leave out the citrus part and then get to what you, to the point where that you're kneading the dough and it should be slightly sticky, but not a mess. And if it's sticking to your hands really bad, just add a little bit of flour at a time. Now, I prefer the lemon zested or the lime or the orange. And then you take the juice of it and just squeeze that right in there. So you're squeezing the lemon juice in there. And I added a half a cup of flour to this recipe because of the juice from the lemon, the lime or the orange. And if you're not going to add that, you, you're likely going to have to add if you're not going to add the liquid, then you might want to reduce even more of the flour. And to zest the citrus fruits, I'm really looking for the outside, the outside layer. And you can get zesters, they're pretty cheap, or you can use a small paring knife. And the, what you want is you want small pieces. And I'm avoiding that inner piece that's white because that's kind of bitter. So I just want the outside and then also to the juice in the middle. Now we're going to shape the dough. Get it to your good dough stage. You let it do its bulk fermentation for about an hour, hour and a half. And this can go two hours too. So it's not a real delicate dough. You got a good window in there. And so now you want to take it and put it a little bit on your floured table. And it's very lightly floured, right? Okay, and you cut what you do want to do is sort of flatten your dough out. You don't need to use a rolling pin. We just use our hands. And then you roll it up like a sleeping bag. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to get a log. And so what I do with it when I got it rolled up, then I roll it back and forth and I kind of do a down and out action 
And what I'm trying to do is create like a long one piece strand. And what you're doing is you're erasing the seams by keep rolling it back and forth and you're smoothing out the strand. And as you roll, you kind of want to angle your hands on the outside and apply gentle pressure to, to sort of taper the outer edges. And you want to be thinking pushing down and out at the same time. It's the same formation as making a baguette. That's what you want to think about. Okay, when what you're doing is, is that you're going to create this log. What you want to do is you're going to make, I'm going to set you up for making two different loaves. And this is about, oh, about three pounds of dough, about three and a half, actually. It's kind of pretty, it's a lot of flour weight in here. And um, so you could actually even make three loaves with this batch, but I'm going to suggest that you do two different types. I'm going to walk you through this and keep in mind, you can modify for how you want to do it. And so take two thirds of your dough and do that same process I talked about making the log. And then I take a third of your dough and do the other process. So the third of the dough is going to be our Easter baby or Easter doll, as you will. And then the two thirds batch size, that's going to be our traditional Italian Easter bread. When you're braiding, here's a couple tips on braiding that I've kind of learned through the years. First of all, you want to make sure that your dough is not, has completely risen. Because if you start it too early and it's hard, it's just hard to work with. And if it does start fighting you too much, just let it relax for about 15 minutes and it should come around and be easier to manipulate. Once you start braiding, you want to continue until you finish. And or if you can do the Easter bread, which is more of a twist, you definitely want to finish it before you come back to it. It's just hard to remember where you, where you left off. And don't get discouraged. If it doesn't always look that pretty, I mean, I, I had to laugh. The first one that I did, it was completely lopsided because I had thicker dough <laughs> on one part of my, it, I was doing the rounded loaf, the crown. It was thicker. So you want to make sure when you get your, it's two strands for the Easter braid, you want to make sure they're even. What you do is you get two even strands and they're about 20 to 24 inches long. So there's a pretty long. What you do is you pinch it together at the end, you put an egg between it and then you do a kind of a tight right over the other strand, put another egg in and then the bottom strand goes over the top strand again. And you do this until you get five eggs in there and then you circle it. Well, I didn't start with even strands. So it was like really super lopsided. The other thing is, is that I put my, I put it almost too tight and one of my eggs popped out. And anyway, it was just kind of funny because you see all these photographs on the internet, whether it be, you know, Pinterest or Instagram, Facebook, or, and they're just like these beautiful loaves. And, and I've gotten to the point where I can make a pretty beautiful loaf now. But I got to tell you, in the beginning, I had to make a lot of ugly ducklings. In fact, to the point where it was like, we have a sample board and that has been a blessing for us in many ways. It's a good marketing tool, but also it allows me to put all my learning curve loaves on there. So the rule is if it tastes great, goes on the sample board if it just doesn't look too good. And remember this, anytime ever anybody comments on it being, you know, whatever, mismatched or something's wrong with the loaf. I always have to explain to them that, you know, our loaves are handmade. 
They're not made by a machine, and obviously you aren't making yours by a machine either, so they're not going to be 100% perfect. And remember, we can always call them rustic or artisan. Artisan just means handmade. And that will be how you explain anything. And bottom line is that people are that you're going to serve it to or just say you're going to eat yourself, it's going to taste great. So I want you to approach this to try to have fun and be proud of your work. And don't compare yourself to all those photos on the Internet that, you know, they don't post the ugly ones. And anyway, so you keep this and I'm sure your loaf will be beautiful. And on the Easter loaf... What we do is we, after we round it, you put it on a sheet pan and just with parchment paper on the bottom. If you don't have parchment paper, then just put it on a well-sprayed cookie sheet. And then we egg wash it. And then we like to put colored sprinkles on top. And the same thing with the Easter doll. So the Easter doll is formed a little bit differently. And this is going to be your smaller, the one third of the batch size. So you still roll it out in that same log. You know, you got your baguette shape. And then you turn it so that you're facing the long ways. It's about two or three inches wide. And what you're going to do is you're going to keep, you're going to start about two inches from the top. And you're going to cut in two lengths of that dough batch to make three strands. And like I said, it's almost easier to see it on YouTube. It's just easier if you have three strands, you have to combine the three strands together at the top to make the baby. And uh, I just find it easier rather than having to pinch them all together, just leave them together at the top and then cut in your two all the way dividers, which will make three strands. And now we're going to braid. So you get your colored egg and you kind of couch open the top of it, surround it a little bit. So it's a really nice little place for that egg to sit because that's going to be your baby's head and then now you do somewhat of a tighter braid down it and so you just do it's basically when you're braiding just keep your eye on the middle strand and then you take you know the right goes over the middle then the left goes over the middle until you get down to the end and then just tuck that under and then now you're going to transfer that to your same either a parchment lined cookie sheet or a well-sprayed cookie sheet. These are a little bit different in size. So one is if you use the two-thirds of the batch and then the one-third, the more mass is going to take longer to bake. Start your oven at 350 degrees and I would bake for about, let's say, 40 minutes and then I'm going to have you check the baby because the baby's going to be done first because it's smaller. Now let's say you don't have room in your oven and you want to put them both in the same sheet, that's fine. But I would recommend using two different sheets because then you can just pull out the baby and it will be done either five to 10 minutes earlier than the bigger loaf. And they're both done when the dough turns. It, the t temperature in your thermometer should read 181 plus. So I kind of like it between 181 and 185 is, is really what I'm looking for. I want to also tell you that if Remember, there's a lot of tradition in breads, and it's also one thing that you could start your own family tradition. So let's say you don't want to color your eggs and you want to just leave them white or you want to use brown eggs. That's all up to you. And what we do in the bakery, I'm trying to make things more festive and celebratory and also to create that eye appeal so they sell because I am in the business 
But I can tell you, it's just a little bit more fun. You know, we get to decorate the egg faces for the baby dolls. And that happens after it bakes. So I have it come out of the oven. And it doesn't really need to cool. So it's not a big deal if the egg's warm. And, you know, just draw in whatever you want. I put smiley faces on ours. And if you want to add hair to yours, you could add hair to yours too. I charge $9.95 for my Easter loaf. To give you an idea is that um, I'm getting a premium price for that. And then for the baby, I'm getting, or Easter doll too, they call it, I'm getting $8 a loaf. These are good if you are home bakers that actually have a cottage license and sell at the farmer's markets. I would say try these loaves out because you can definitely mark them up and make some money or just feed your family some really festive, delicious breads for Easter. On that note, happy baking, everybody, and happy Easter. <music>